Thanks for listening to audio from North Monroe. To learn more about who we are, visit northmonroe.com or download the North Monroe app in the App Store or on Google Play. Now, here's this week's message. Good morning, guys. It's so good to be back with you. I just love being in this place and just teaching and fellowshipping and all the things that go together in this. It's just such a joy to me. There's The joy of the Lord is in this place. Uh, we were last week at uh, up at Shepherd of the Ozarks for family camp. Had about 120 go up, and uh, it was awesome. Uh, we baptized three people in the river, so that was cool too. And it was just neat to be with people. I love the thing I love about it is I get a chance to meet people I don't normally meet, and so that that became really awesome. But it's good to be back here and to be opening His Word. Apologize that we don't have any sermon notes today. I forgot to bring my charger to Shepherd of the Ozarks, and my computer's older than everybody else's, so their charger didn't fit my charger, so you didn't get any notes, okay? So we'll just have to muscle through, right? Let's take our Bibles out and go to uh, Philippians chapter 3. Last time we were together talking about the summer of joy, I was talking about smile stealers. There are people in your life who find their joy by taking yours from you. Uh, They find their smile by taking yours away. And we have to be careful with that. We have to process that. We have to work through that. And that's exactly what Paul was dealing with in Philippians chapter 3. He called them the dogs of the circumcision, whose intent was really to make his life miserable. But in the process of this, he begins to uh, talk about his past. And for us, the benefit is in doing that, He showed us how to find joy from our past, which when you consider Paul's past, you have to realize that he is probably better equipped to deal with this than anyone else because we all have things in our past. I mean, think back about your past. What what regrets do you have? Those moments of failure, the hurts, the heartaches. Sometimes, let's be honest, they're too painful to recall something embarrassing or humiliating. I mean, we all have that most embarrassing moment that we can laugh about. I'm talking about the most embarrassing moments you can't laugh about. The ones that maybe nobody else even knows that it was so humiliating. Or maybe it's a hurt, an injury, an assault. Someone has hurt you deeply, someone you trusted. Maybe it's a loss. Here's the thing. The past is with us, like it or not. Too often it resurfaces and takes away our joy. You know, your past can rob you of joy in a different way, too. Uh, Instead of looking back with regret, you can look back with longing. And you know, you think back on the good old days, or maybe you peaked in high school, or maybe you peaked in college, or you peaked in junior high. I feel like my athletic uh, uh, world kind of peaked in junior high. I was killer in the eighth grade, just saying. Not bragging, just... And I can look back, and you know, the older I get the better I was, right? And, and sometimes that can cripple our present because I so long for the past that the present always sort of pales in comparison. We have to be careful that, you know, Paul's issue was a strange combination of both of those things. His success turned out to be his greatest re- regret. So his success actually was his regret. Remember in those days, 
You earned uh, approval through the religious legalism. And the smile stealers were after Paul. They were attacking him. And they were saying, we're of the true circumcision, implying you're not of the true circumcision, which circumcision is a word that had to do with favor from God. We're the elect. We're We're the favored from God because we have the true circumcision because we keep the law. And Paul uh, basically says, look, guys, I was a past master at that stuff. And in Philippians 3, verses 4 through 6, he pulls out his letter jacket, you know, kind of dusts it off out of the closet and starts pointing to his patches. Circumcised the eighth day, baby of the month down at the local synagogue. I wasn't just from a tribe of Israel. I was from the tribe of Benjamin, best tribe. As to a Hebrew, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to uh, righteousness, uh, blameless Pharisee. And then in chapter 3, verse 6, he says, As to zeal, man, nobody could surpass my zeal. I was a persecutor of the church. Paul was so convinced that he was right that he actually hurt Christians. And all along, the power people of his day just kept pouring on the accolades. Way to go, Paul. What a great guy Paul is. Look what Paul's doing for Judaism. Look how he's stamping out this Christian sect. And so in a strange way, his biggest success turned out to be his biggest regret. And I see three huge regrets here. I want to dance across quickly before we get to the core of it. I think his first regret was that he had betrayed his mentor. Keep your finger on... uh, Philippians 3, and let's go over to Acts chapter 22. Paul's giving his testimony to the Jews of Jerusalem. He's trying to reach them for Christ, and he's he's sort of giving a, a, a summation of his past. He said, I'm a Jew born in Tarsus. This is 22 verse 3 a city in Cilicia, and I was brought up and educated here in Jerusalem. In other words, I was born in Tarsus, but as quick as I could, I got to Jerusalem. And I was brought up in Jerusalem. Here it is under Gamaliel, uh, underline that. That's meaningless to us because we couldn't care less about who that is. But it meant everything to them. As a student, I was carefully trained in our Jewish laws and customs and became very zealous to honor God in everything I did, just like all of you today. I'm not criticizing you guys. You guys are doing everything you can to honor God. The problem is you're doing it all in the wrong way, just like I did it. Man, I was a student of Gamaliel. And Gamaliel was the uh, was the, the grandson of the great Hillel uh, the Elder. And Hillel was so famous in Jewish lore because he was the one responsible for compiling the Mishnah and the Talmud, the great oral traditions of Judaism that are still strictly adhered to today by Orthodox Jews. And so that was Hillel, that was Gamaliel's grandfather, and Gamaliel was in that same academic stratosphere as his grandfather. The Mishnah said this of Gamaliel, since Rabbi Gamaliel, the elder, died, there has been no more reverence for the law and purity and piety died out at the same time. And so Paul is referencing Gamaliel as his great teacher. That would be like me saying, you know, I graduated Harvard Law. All of a sudden, you begin to, you know, begin to elevate your perspective of my great intellect, right? Um, and that's the way it was with Paul. In fact, he was he was the prize student of Gamaliel. Uh, he was so smart that he was sharing the gospel with this king that was interviewing him when he was in prison in Caesarea. 
And when he came to the resurrection, the, the king said to him, Paul, your great learning is driving you mad. In other words, he was such a brilliant person, so widely regarded and well-known. Everybody knew Paul. Everybody knew Gamaliel. And so Paul is saying that. And yet when it came to persecuting Christians, Paul broke with his master because Gamaliel always counseled tolerance and patience. Uh, let me show you something in Acts chapter 5, okay? Uh, leave Acts 22. Let's go to Acts chapter 5. Peter and John and some of the disciples, not long after the resurrection, they're sharing Jesus, and many people are coming to faith in Christ. Already the church has started with 3,000. It's growing every day. Uh, new converts all over the place. And the Jews are trying to put a stop to it. So they call in Peter and John, and they say, you stop preaching Jesus. Peter and John looked at him and said, well, you tell us. Do we obey men? Do we obey God? Because God told us to declare Jesus. So we're going to keep declaring Jesus. Now look what happens, Acts 5, uh, 33. When they heard this, the high council, that's the Sanhedrin, was furious and decided to kill them. But then Gamaliel stands up and he says this, but one member, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, who is an expert in religious law and respected by all the people, stood up. And he ordered that the men be sent outside the council chamber for a while. So the disciples, the Christians, were sent outside. So the question is, how then do we know what was said behind council walls? Well, you know how we know. Because Paul was there on the council. He was in the room. And here's what Gamaliel said. Then he said to his colleagues, verse 35, Men of Israel, take care what you're planning to do to these men. Skip down to verse 38. My advice is leave these men alone. Let them go. If they're planning and doing these things merely on their own, it will soon be overthrown. But if it is from God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You may even find yourself fighting against God. Gamaliel is advocating restraint. And for at least a brief period, they accepted it. But when you skip forward just two chapters in the book of Acts, from Acts chapter 5 to Acts chapter 7, you'll see that they have arrested Deacon Stephen and they're about to stone him to death. And Paul is there. And you know what he's doing while they're stoning Stephen? He's holding the coats so they can get a better throw. I was, I, I never really pictured what stoning might look like until I was at Shepherd of the Ozarks and about six kids found a snake. And all of a sudden they started throwing rocks at that snake and the snake's trying to get away. It was really pitiful. And all of a sudden, I, I began to see the fury of the mob and what it must have been like. And Paul is right there. And in Acts chapter 22, verse 20, it says, he's telling his story. And he says, and when the blood of your witness, Stephen, was shed, I was standing nearby. Look at this word, approving and guarding the cloaks of those who were killing him. And after that, Paul went on a one-man murder mission to wipe out the church. He was arresting people. He was bringing them. He was torturing them. He was bringing them to trial. And in some cases, they were even killing Christians. And I think about his relationship with his great master, Gamaliel, and what Gamaliel must have thought about his prized student. Paul, you're just like the rest of these ignorant, hateful fools. And I wonder if Paul ever went back and said, you know, Gamaliel, you were right. But it must have, there must have been a twinge of pain when he thought back on, on his actions and how he had betrayed his own master, his teacher. But even worse, Paul harmed innocent people. 
Go to Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Now Saul still, Saul, Paul, he changed his, God changed his name. Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him uh, to the synagogues at Damascus. So he's not content with just going after the Christians there in Jerusalem. He's going all the way to Syria so that he might, so that if he found any belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And there's no question, Paul did some really, really bad things. Some dark stuff. And he struggled with that. Even later in life, he was talking about how he was an apostle, but he said, I was the least of the apostles because I persecuted the church. I mean, it was a, this nagging sort of splinter in his conscience that, that he struggled with, I think, throughout his life. And in later years, Paul would no longer give those detailed uh, descriptions of his pre-Christian life, he would simply say, I was the worst. 1 Timothy 1, 15, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. He didn't have to go into it anymore. I'm just, I'm the, I, I think of John Newton. John Newton was a slave trader. And John Newton, he abused the men who were being sold as slaves and he uh, sexually assaulted the women just a horrible, horrible human being. And then Christ got a hold of his life. He later entered the ministry. And while in the ministry, he wrote songs. And one of the songs we still sing today, the lyrics go like this, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a what? Wretch. You think John Newton didn't remember what he had done in his past and that his past wasn't affecting how he felt about himself? Late in life, he said, I'm old now, but I remember two things that I'm a great sinner and Christ is a great Savior. He didn't have to go into detail. He just knew, I'm, I'm chief. That's what Paul's saying here. I'm the worst of the lot. Because Paul had done some things that it would be difficult to get over. And he had become an enemy of Christ. Gamaliel said, you may find yourself fighting against God. And that's exactly what happened. Well, isn't it interesting? When Jesus ran into Paul or when Paul ran into Jesus on the Damascus road, he said to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Here's a man who had spent his life trying to earn God's approval through his performance, and yet the very thing that he was doing was causing him to be an enemy of God. And so Paul's probably better qualified than anyone to show us how to find joy from the bad past, right? What a great place to start. So what does Paul say about his past? Well, here's what he does. The first thing you've got to do, if you're going to find joy from your past, because it's going to keep bubbling up and it's going to keep reminding you of what a horrible person you used to be, the first thing you have to do, change the tags. Change the tags. Are you with me? Watch what Paul does. Verse 7, But whatever things were gained to me, these things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. The word count means to lead, think, believe, or regard. He said, I regard those things the world would call gain as loss. The stuff that everyone else says should be an asset, I have relabeled that as a liability. I have moved all of those achievements, all of those things that I earned the world's approval from, all those things that 
I thought were making me a better person, but were in fact drawing me farther from Christ, even though I was very successful, even though everybody applauded it, even though everybody said, attaboy, at the core of it, it was pulling me away from Christ. I've called that loss. I've moved that to the loss column. Do you see what he's doing? Everything is lost compared to Christ. Philippians 3 verse 8, more than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but, circle this word, rubbish, that I may gain Christ. There's that word, rubbish. I danced across it last time. Let's dig a little deeper. That word is scubalon. It's an important word for a couple of reasons. First of all, this is the only time it's ever used. But secondly, it's important because it's a gritty, vulgar word. The word actually had its roots in in food waste. And the question was, is it the food waste that's left over? For example, you have a big party, there's a bunch of food left over, that garbage, that waste, that refuse, that rubbish, you throw it out in the garbage, right? Is that what it is? Well, that's how they translated it, rubbish. And, but the other way that it could be understood is it's human waste that has been digested. And it's not just the food that's been uneaten, but it's the food that's been eaten, and now that waste has been uh, digested, and he, it's really talking about dung or manure. And, and I've got to tell you, the patristic fathers, the early church fathers really wrestled with this word because it's a word that's so unseemly they just couldn't have Paul use this word. It's such a, it's a vulgar word. They're like, well, it must have been refuse. And so uh, that became sort of the common vernacular to understand the translation of this word scubalon. It, it came to be known as refuse or garbage that's thrown out after the feast. The, the, the problem is, That's not how the non-Christian Greeks used this word. Strabo was talking about uh, how they had uh, redone the city of Smyrna, and he was complaining about it, and he said excrement, scubalon, covers the surface. They hadn't put in proper plumbing. Uh, When Josephus was talking about the siege of Jerusalem by the Romans, he said that the people had become so desperate that they were eating cow dung, Scubalon. Here's the note from the Net Bible translation. The word here translated dung was often used in Greek as a vulgar term for fecal matter. As such, it would most likely have had a certain shock value to the reader. And I think that's what Paul meant, dung. And it was used to shock. He wanted to leave no room for legalism. All of that stuff that they think is so important, all of of that stuff that I thought was so important, all that stuff of trying to earn God's approval through my performance, through legalism. You know what it is? It's a big pile of manure. That's what he's saying. And he's, he's using a play on words because he's, he's been talking about the flesh and, and the acts of the flesh. And basically what he's saying is the only thing the flesh can produce is manure. That's what he's saying. And he wants to leave no room for anybody to ever think that somehow through my performance, I can cause God to love me more. It's all about grace, only grace. You can't add anything to it. The rest of it is just rubbish. 
And I apologize for lingering here, but it's an important point. Unless you feel the shock of these words, you won't see the power of what he's doing. He's changing the tags. This was Paul's wall of trophies. These were his degrees and pedigrees. These are the things that were supposed to pull him closer to the Father, but in reality, they had pushed him further away. And we need to see this. Let me say this. If your greatest successes pulled you further from Christ, then stop labeling them as assets and relabel them as liabilities. If your greatest successes in business have pulled you farther from Christ, even though you made a pile of money and everybody thought you were the best thing ever, if they pulled you away from Christ, move that out of the asset column into the liability column. If you are an incredible athlete and the whole world thinks what a great base runner you are, If that has, in fact, moved you away from Jesus, take that out of the asset column and put it in the liability column because it is a loss. I don't care what your letter jacket looks like. If your letter jacket kept you from Jesus, then you got to relabel that memory. You know, the opposite's also true. Those things that seem like liabilities might, in fact, be the very things that brought you to Jesus. The hurts and heartaches can feel bad, but if they brought you to Jesus, then relabel that as an asset. Look what he says in verse 9. And be found in Him not because I have my own righteousness. Man, it's all about the righteousness of Christ, not my own drive from the law, but because I have the righteousness that comes by way of Christ's faithfulness. A righteousness from God that is in fact based on Christ's faithfulness. It's called grace. It's received, not achieved. Now watch what he does with the hurts and heartaches. My aim is to know him, to experience the power of his resurrection. Look at this, to share in his sufferings and to be like him in his death. He wants to know the power of his resurrection. We all want the power of the resurrection. We don't want to know him in the suffering and death. But here's something you have to realize. To experience the power of resurrection, you have to first experience the pain of death. Isn't that what Jesus said? If anybody wants to save his life, he's got to lose it. Verse 11, and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. So you see his heart. The suffering and hardship were part of the journey to discover the power of the resurrected life. And so what he's doing is he's relabeling those things, those things that that hurt me the most, those heartaches that were the hardest to endure. Those were the very things that caused me to open my heart to the Lordship of Christ and to find his forgiveness and healing. So let me say this. Some memories are pleasant, but they drove you further from Christ. Relabel those as liabilities. Some memories are painful, but they drove you to your knees and opened your heart to Jesus. Relabel those as assets. And you know what that means? That means that those hurts that someone did to you, you tag that with the cross. That hurt they put on you, that's the very thing that led you to Jesus. Here's what that does. It keeps you from being a victim. The problem we have today is people are are defined by their past because they're letting their past victimize them. Somebody hurt me. Somebody betrayed me. Somebody ignored me. Somebody injured me. Somebody did some horrible thing to me. All of that is true and valid. That's happened. But if, if you see that for only the injury, then you become the victim, which means, first of all, 
you miss the, the power of the hurt. God doesn't waste a hurt. So that hurt that I went through when that girl broke up with me, or that hurt that I went through when I failed and was isolated and alone, that hurt that I went through when I fell into darkest sin, that's the very thing that brought me to my knees so that I would look to Jesus. And so I thank you, God, for those hurts in my life. And I want those hurts to be used, and I want to relabel those hurts as something healing. That's what brought healing. If you don't do that, then you're a victim. And you know what that means? That means, first of all, you have the privilege of continuing the hate. And you can hate the person that ruined your life. Some of you have spent your whole life hating the person that ruined your life. And in the process, your past comes to define your life. Who you are has already been determined by what happened to you. Paul says, relabel those hurts. Retag them. Say, those things that hurt us the most, those sins, that tragic error of judgment that, that may have become the catalyst for you moving forward in Christ. And God has used that to bring you to this place. How could that possibly be bad? Do you see the paradox of this thing? Some of those things that we think of as positive from our past were in fact negative, and some of those things that we perceive to be negative are in fact positive. Look, you're not rewriting the past. You can't do that. You're redefining your past so that your past can no longer redefine you. Your past can no longer define you. And then you assess your progress. We're all a work in progress, right? So I relabel my past, and then I look at who I am in the present. Sometimes that's hard to do, you know? I had this friend, Billy Smith, and uh, she had these two grandsons that were twins. They were six and seven. One of them came home. He was really mad. Came home from church. He was mad at the choir teacher. He said, I hate that old teacher. He's just stupid. His daddy was a little taken aback. He said, why do you say that? And he's, he's stupid and I hate him and I don't even want to go to choir. Baby, that's not nice. We don't use those hurtful words. Why would you hate him? Because he's stupid. What makes you say he's stupid? He won't give me a white star. He gave my brother a white star. Then he gave him another white star. He's just stupid and I hate him. And his daddy said, what does the white star mean? And he said, it means we're godlike. <laughs> the teacher may have been more insightful than we know. How many times do we do that? Look at Paul's honest assessment. Here's where I am in light of God's righteousness. Not that I've already attained this. Now, look, he's not trying to attain salvation. He's already got that. That was the gift of grace. He's saying that I want to attain the nature of Christ. I want the holiness of God. That is, I have not already been perfected, but I strive to lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus laid hold of me. You see, I'm trying to lay hold of what Christ laid hold. I'm trying to get a hold of what got a hold of me. I'm trying to wrap my head around this whole grace thing so that I can begin to walk in the freedom and the victory and the liberty that comes through grace. I want to get a hold of that. I want to be free from my past. I don't want it to constantly be this nagging uh, reminder of my own failure. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have attained this. And he's still there. He's still wrestling. I'm not what I once was, but I'm not what I want to be either. So what do we do at the past? Here's two quick things. It comes from this brilliant summation. Move on. Move on. 
forgetting what what things are behind and reaching forward to the things that are ahead. With this goal in mind, I strive toward the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You got to forget your past. Uh, You cannot get over the past by compensating for it. You're not going to make up for it. You, You can't atone for it. That happened at the cross. And so you have to receive forgiveness. That's where, that's where it starts. If you really want to get over your past, you've got to receive the forgiveness of grace. I've got a friend that worked for a guy named Robert McGee. Robert McGee wrote a book called The Significance Syndrome or The Search for Significance. And he said that, McGee said that, uh, that uh, when God designed us, he put a guilt switch on us because in designing us, he knew we would fall. And so that was part of what would drive us back to him. He said, the problem is, is that even after people find the forgiveness in Christ, they have a hard time forgiving themselves and they can't find that, that guilt switch to turn it off. And that's that second thing. You've got to receive forgiveness, but then you've got to forgive yourself. I mean, if you're still holding on to some sin that you did, some failure, some embarrassing moment, some mistake, some horrible moment from your past, then it's almost as if the cross wasn't enough, that it couldn't cover everything. And you're denying the power of the cross. And then you've got to forgive others. And sometimes this is the hardest part. And I know what you're thinking. I can't forget. You know, to forgive is to forget. I can't forget. Look, you can't forget... God says He forgets our sins. It's like God can't forget anything. How does He forget our sins? He chooses not to replay it. He chooses not to replay the tape. And that's where you've got to come. You've got to land. I choose not. Look, when my kids were growing up, we listened to Barney and Kids Sing Praise and Barney and more Barney. I've got boxes in my attic of VH tapes of Barney. I'm, I'm a recovering Barney person. I'm so tired of, you know, Barney songs and Barney this and Barney that. I was fed up with it. Y'all are, you ought to be grateful that you're post-Barney parents. I don't know. <laughs> but, but I never go, you know what, let's go up in the attic and pull out one of those VHS tapes and replay the Barney tape. I'm so over Barney. So why are we replaying these other more hurtful tapes in our lives? Why are we putting them in the VCR and punching the button? You got to choose not to recall it um, and be free of it. To, to receive forgiveness, to forgive yourself, and then to forgive the people that hurt you and choose not to replay the tape because you've redefined what that meant. That injury that you received was the very thing that Jesus used to bring you to himself. And then press on. With this goal in mind, I strive toward the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I love Paul's love of athletics. In in 1 Corinthians 9, he said, all run, but don't all receive the prize. Run in such a way that you may win. They then run to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. That's what he said. And there's this striving to it. What he's saying is he's got that strive. You know, I was watching the 2022 World Championship uh, track and field, and I was watching the, the women's 10K. Uh, you know, it's, it's a tough time of sports right now, right? So I'm watching the women's 10K World Championships, and they've got these women, and they describe all of them, and this one's really good, and she was a gold Olympian, and this one last year's World Championship. This is a new girl, but and she's really good, but she can't kick. That means at the end of these long races, the sprinters will outrun them. And so it comes down to the end of this race, and this girl is leading, but she's the one that doesn't have the kick. 
which means she doesn't have that extra speed to get to the finish line. And those speed girls are right behind her, like three or four yards behind her. And she's running, and it's obvious they're starting to catch her. And there's a look on her face. And I, I looked it up this morning just so I could bring this picture. Look at this look on her face. Do we have it? That's her from Ethiopia. Look at that striving on her face. She won that race and was world champion. That's the face Paul wants us to wear as we strive forward. Look, you can't win this race if you're looking backward. There's not a, they're not looking back. They're looking forward. And so we have to stop living in the past. Look, the past lives in every one of us, but we don't live in the past. You're not a victim. You're a victor. And all the stuff that God has used in your life to bring you to this point have all been designed by Him to bring you to a point of relationship, and that relationship brings you to a point of joy. And we've dropped joy from our past. You ready for that? Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful for Jesus, for the liberating powerful, freeing that you give us in forgiveness. I pray for those that need forgiveness right now. They've never known what it is to be forgiven and their past dominates their life. Help them to find you through your Holy Spirit's calling to just say yes to you right now. Father, we thank you that you have given those of us who are in Christ the freedom that comes from forgiveness. Help us to forgive ourselves. Help us, Father, to forgive other people, to relabel our past and to stop being victims and stop letting our past define us as we press on toward the goal of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We thank you so much for that. We thank you for the joy that's in that. And may that joy be resident right here, right now in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Our hope is that this message has encouraged you to seek Christ in your own life and make Him known wherever you are. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and share it with a friend. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week.